around you. Hey now, up on your heart, I can sing through you. You want some sexy? You want to laugh? Licensed to talk. License to Talk is brought to you by Charlie's Boatyard, 1111 Furman Boulevard. Season is right around the corner. Ahoy Malloy. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve, 2182 Seneca Street. The Rocket is stocked and ready to rock. Get what you need down at the Rocket. Dog Ears Bookstore and Cafe, 688 Abbott Road. Support your local bookstore and read something. And remember, don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. First in Buffalo, custom tees, custom hats. They got some tragically hip hats up there. 389 Abbott Road, first in Buffalo, get your custom gear. Mr. Submarines, 1977 South Park Avenue. They've been around for a while, home of the best ham sub in Buffalo. Tell them license and talk sent you. Vinyl Vibes, look them up on the gram, get your custom decals, stickers, what you need. Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. Yeah, go for it. All right, Marky, episode 75 with an old friend and an illustrator. And legend. Legend. We'll get to that. He's even more legendary than he was. He comes right in like we, 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 I haven't seen Phil Friedenberg. He is the author, musician, Tuscarora Street Hockey alumni, bassist for the Bloody Hollies. I mean, we, we, bands, bands, and then we got Jeff Walton, who's an artist, and he does the visuals on the book, and the book is called America and the Cult of the Cactus, a Diagnostic. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Phil, first of all, you just said it. I want you to tell, you're rollerblading around. All right. This Because this is when I met Phil. Sure. <laughs> Are you talking about with Tommy? No, no I'm saying... The goal record, real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, tied to the cane story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, my earliest memories of you and I operating as a neighborhood effective tandem uh, unquestionably goes back to the street hockey uh, alumni of South Buffalo, by which there is a loose affiliated organization that is developing uh, it's the South Buffalo Street Hockey Alumni Veterans Hero <laughs> Youth Movement that we're all going to be a part of, and I think we'll we'll get into the details of that later. But I spent a lot of my earliest days in South Buffalo fanatically playing hockey, as most people do in a tundra-based, uh, inescapable South Buffalo community by which your uh, – uh, ladders of accessible upward mobility have observable limitations, so you find something like hockey, and you say, well, I love it, and I play, and I'll just do this for nine hours a day when I'm not experimenting with the extremely limited perspective of <laughs> Catholic school nuns that provide authoritarian, militant-based Catholic-driven ideology <laughs> in your head that serves as the fundamental framework for which you learn how to become an open-minded, potentially transcendent, creative person. <laughs> so all the mechanisms of control and oppression and strict uh, blind theology that either cripples people into living afraid for uh, 40, 50 years until 
you experiment with the engraver at the cemetery. Uh, you uh, can also just say, well, wait a minute, I bet there's inroads to really big ideas out there. Uh, so I started at hockey, <laughs> and uh, I had a funny time when I shifted out of hockey, you know, and I really grew up, my first ambition was, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a professional hockey player. Yeah. Until I very early realized, well, I've just started skating at three and, you know, through the age of 13, all I did was play hockey. And then I started to touch brushes with these moments of saying, well, what would happen if there were the, uh, these other interesting avenues that I overlooked in terms of exploring them? Would I want to end up missing out on those sort of narrative threads in my life? Or, so in the height of the hockey craze, I remember being a Kaz Park chief. I was a mite. And I also played for a travel team at the time, <clears throat> which I did end up playing maybe for three seasons on the Depew Saints with Brooks Orpeck. And Brooks went on to win a Stanley right. Cup. And, you know, Pat Kane is our beloved uh, NHL hero who we all uh, – you know, celebrate his success, which is remarkable. And uh, I had a funny moment through another close friend of ours, Tom Cowan, who I love and care for in my youth and uh, right into my adulthood. And he was owning a bar on Chippewa. And somewhere in the frenzy of an evening driven by uh, experimental experiences, <laughs> I remember ending up in his bar. And I was like, you know, the hockey talk came up. Yeah. You know, and Tom was excited and, you know, supportive. And Kane was around town that night. And I, 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 I ended up going out to get my roller, my rollerblades. And I was like, Tommy, I'm going to rollerblade around your bar, buddy. And he was like, uh, all right, that's a good idea. You know, like two gentlemen would conclude. Uh, so I get in the rollerblades and roller, rollerblading around the bar and it's late and, uh, He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to maybe see Pat Kane. I was like, get him on the phone. Get him on the phone. He's like, Tom's like, all right. And he calls him up on speaker. And he's like, hey, Pat, it's Tom. And Phil Friedenberg. And I'm like, yeah. You know him. You know, yeah, you know. You know him. No. no. Uh, doesn't. Doesn't remember. Uh, and I get, just get into this funny story where I was like, you know, Pat, you know, I'm the old Kaz player. I just want to, you know, compliment you on all your success and all the hard work that it took to get there, and that's remarkable. And just friendly reminder, like, of all your achievements, the Caspar goal record I still hold, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I had 75 goals in 15 games, and it was a 20-game season for Mites, and I missed five games because of uh, being on travel. And it was like, what am I going to miss? The house Kaz game or like going to play in Batavia. Right. You know, so I missed some games, uh, but I just remember having a funny moment of uh, just like rec reconciling that, like, <laughs> you know, what eight year old uh, goal. Of well, you set out to be a master of hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you right, did it. Right. I'm, I was, a, I, but I had a metaphysical connection uh, to the mastery of hockey that uh, had a limitation in what you could achieve physically. So I had to, uh, you know, kind of transcend that and uh, go. That's kind of my things. point. In the whole thing, Phil, is that that's what we think today that, that sports isn't really about everything, and I think it's starting to change yeah. a little bit. Well, I mean, I think hockey's a little bit of creativity too. Patience, I agree. You and, know, it's, uh, it's a lot of those discipline. things. Sure, 
I hold and I tell this story to this day. If, like still, I have, you know, Wayne Gretzky hero heroism, you know, and and I remember, like it was, church when the Oilers would come to the odd. Mm-hmm. My dad and my brother and I would go down to the odd. And we had a family member that worked there, and he would let us in to the Oilers' practices. And we would just go see Gretzky, and he'd be like, well, the Friedenbergs are here. We're in Buffalo. <laughs> and I remember going out onto the ice. The Oilers' practice ended, and my uh, my dad and my uncle, I just told this story two nights ago. I was at the Sabres game with my uncle, Donnie. And uh, they were like, Zamboni doors open, put my skates on. <clears throat> go skate out on the ice. Go on at the odd. And as like a six-year-old, I just skated out onto the ice, and the Oilers are looking around, and I'm just skating to Gretzky. (laughs) And Messier comes over, scoops me up, brings me to the penalty box. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I wanted to get some, I wanted to get Gretzky's autograph again. (laughs) You know, like multiple, uh, you know. And then, and then I'm six in the penalty box at the odd with Messier and Curry and Gretzky. And it was uh, just this really memorable experience of like growing up and being around that. And when I think of Gretzky's creativity, his dad would have him watch Hockey Night in Canada and sit <clears throat> with a pad. And he would say, just take a pen in the whole game, you know, 60 minutes. Don't look at the pad, but trace where the puck goes in the game. And Gretzky would trace on the pad. And then uh, after the game, he and his dad would review the pen lines to get an intuitive understanding of where the puck moved the most in the game to develop these intuitions about where might the puck go. If I have the puck, where could it go that's a statistically unexplored area of the ice in a given situation? And I feel like those are the types of intangibles that lead to um, bigger thinking, you know, and, and, and grander sort of vision. And I think some of those things served as a foundation for the type of bigger thinking that comes up in this book and the sports analogy is really explored in this book because we in a sense experiment with this alternate paradigm of what is the maximal achievement of human entertainment and creativity is it sports is that our only option? Is that the best that we can do? That's what I've been saying lately. So with that in mind, in the book, there's maybe a 100-page section of saying, well, let's say that. Let's say in culture, if we imagined a new possible world that was rooted in all the uh, uh, core aspects of human imagination, <clears throat> what sport would be the principal s- nucleus of a new, new world? And in the book, there's uh, extreme competitive ironing is what we <laughs> we have entire sections of saying that in America, in this new possible America where we're beyond the sort of totalitarian political influences, 
the, the, the height of entertainment is extreme competitive ironing. And we have these uh, uh, scenarios where we have outlined uh, examples of like, for example, um, in Japan, they have a maglev train and there's competitive ironers that uh, are on top of a train and they have to iron. And then they wear these uh, packs, these body packs that have buzzards in them. And then the buzzards... Uh, pick away at meat wigs that they have to wear and if the buzzards tap through the skull and the meat wig and uh, impact the dura of the competitive ironer before the other he or she would then be disqualified you know uh <laughs> things like this and and and, and but i gotta ask this now you don't know anything that's going on in this book right the, the details while you're drawing is that true is that what i'm getting uh, uh, here? um i i wasn't able to read the uh the book but he would come in and debrief me and give me kind of a shorthand cliff notes version and uh and i'd, I'd go home and try to make it happen the best i could with my whatever my mind came up with listening to him <laughs> and yeah. then um, turned right to it shenandoah national park hey there it is that's right yeah, yeah. it's funny you know what i'm gonna tell you <clears throat> and then i seen you got uh steven seagal there, there's some. Yeah, there's it's some like great. pop culture, like yeah. Mirakami, how he does that. Yeah, kind of stuff. yeah. yeah. I, I, I absolutely love uh, Hard Boiled Wonderland at the end of the world. You know what? I haven't read that one. That's my favorite Mirakami. That's like the Beatles type one. Uh, no, that's uh, Sputnik Sweetheart, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I I read the Love Story one. Okay, um, Wind Up Bird Chronicles <laughs> is another. Yeah. Uh, is After another Dark, one. I read. Um, Kafka on the shore. Kafka on the shore. Uh, but yeah, he uses the like. You, I felt like you guys did it right off the bat, like bringing you into to like your world a little bit. You sure. Know, and, uh, by I, using things that we all know about. This is a perfect. You gotta know Steven Seagal. I watched the <laughs> yeah, video yeah, yeah. of him. Well, even today. what we can say for that too, um, it, it's it's virtually impossible to start talking about the book in a linear fashion. So we'll abandon that hope to begin with and just talk about some of the things. What but do you mean by that? I mean <clears throat> that there's a lot of parallel layers that are in the structure of the book that are designed in a fractal structure um, that uh, evolves throughout the story. And it's difficult to say, well, let's begin to discuss the book and tell you about in the beginning there's this and then in the middle there's this and in the end there's this because there's these uh, timelines that move throughout the book and it's always challenging to kind of just start at the beginning uh, you know but we talk about these points like the Steven Seagal thing is that in the book there is a a lot of this is fundamentally a, a metaf work of metafiction. The book is self-aware that the book is a book, and it <laughs> is aware that there are words that represent things. And the moment that we agree that we have this symbol structure in the world where I am referenced to you by this symbol and these items that are adherent to the material world are referenced not in of themselves but in symbols, what happens if there's... A detachment between the relationship of symbol and object and 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 what is that discourse if we remove the relationship and then something starts to happen in the book where the jeff and i characters that start to say in the beginning well uh, what are these messages yeah yeah, yeah you're getting messages yeah, and i want to write this book <clears throat> while i'm waiting for this other book to come <laughs> in the mail and then very quickly 
Jeff and I become characters in the book, but I'm also writing the book, but I'm also the person in the book with Jeff. And then the symbolic uh, symbol object relationship creates a discontinuity where the word meaning value gets disrupted. And then the book itself is the actual environment in which the story takes place within the walls of the text itself. And we become replaced by text. Um, so we have uh, the word earth in the book becomes a poet and starts to write these poems. So the actual text object word earth writes poetry that's dangerous and liberating. And when you read these poems, you are brushing with possible uh, accelerated access to enlightenment. And then there's this nefarious uh, government organization in the book called the Total Information Control Initiative. Right, because in the beginning, it's uh, the very first thing is like pe people are ordered to get <coughs> chips implanted in their brain. Now, when, when did you? Yeah, the, when did you write this? Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. this is like what people thought for so long. Like, right. like this, yeah. what, what, I mean, and basically, I'll, I'll, how long were you working on when did it start? I'm gonna tell you. Um, if you look right here in the in the end page, it says 52nd degree call to the cactus boot member. America and the Call to the Cactus Boots of Diagnostic was written between September 28th, 2020, and April 17, 2021. Hmm. That's the actual time frame. On the day, <clears throat> September 28th, we said, I, I yeah. said, Jeff, I'm going to write this book. And he said, well, all right, if you're going to write this book, I'm going to illustrate it. Absolutely. And then, like, savages... It began, but you got to realize, as I've said before, <laughs> I wanted to do this at 20, but at 20, I, I, I wasn't, I hadn't learned enough. I hadn't lost enough. The, the confidence of a vision of the world that you could share with others to say, let's dare to imagine something different, hadn't cultivated enough. I hadn't lived enough. So I, I said, "That's fair right. to well, say, yeah. yeah like right. people don't do secondhand dentistry. Sure, know? like you're a dentist, <laughs> sure. you're not like there you are, ready then. There, there right. are <laughs> a small group of Tanzanian villagers that actually celebrate secondhand dentistry. It's the Tanzanian <laughs> secondhand dentistry organization. Yeah. So I mean, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I do want to correct you for the record, since this is a public discussion, that the Tanzanian." Secondhand dentists yeah. of the well, of the world would probably end up at dog-eared books by September, yeah. well, looking for listen, answers. Look, you know, there's two books I had with me: my 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 monster manual, yeah, and your book, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I thought we were both are monster manuals. If you of give sorts. us the, if you give us the keys yeah. to the bookstore, there might be a Dungeons and Dragons game upstairs. That's we're <laughs> that's how about it, it goes down. <laughs> but yeah, so like when you're like writing the book, like even like the title, like you were saying, like things mean different things. Like a diagnostic, like diagnostic means like a whole bunch of different things. That's where like, well. You know, even the the title yeah, we were like is it a diagnostic? diagnosis or yeah, is it um, a miracle <laughs> i can give you a direct uh, there there might be a, a small subplot of my life that you guys don't know about <clears throat> after i quit playing in bands um i was in serbia i was in belgrade serbia in 2013 and my daughter was turning 3 and now bear in mind, I'm in former Yugoslavia where 
the Bosnian War was in 99, and I remember going through Bosnia and then into Serbia, and, and there was still at that time, you know, buildings that were shelled out, you know, and we're in Serbia, and we play this place called the Gun Club, and during the day, it's a, it's a firing range, and then at night, it's a rock club. Is it like cavey? Like it's one of those uh, kind of deals. It's it's a bit cavernous. Yeah, yeah, it's a I bit cavernous. A lot of them do that. Over there. It, it, yeah, and it was outrageous. And I remember to this day, I I, I remember taking a, a a shot up target and taping it onto my amp, and and then every night for the rest of that tour in Europe, I remember taping this shot out gun target from Serbia onto my amp. But I remember FaceTiming with my daughter and. Um, it was like four in the morning in Serbia, and it was, you know, seven hours <laughs> earlier here, and I missed a birthday, and I thought I'd been touring for ten years, and I thought I'm, I'm at, I've completed what this is for me. I've completed this. Uh, there's nothing left really for me in that, and I said, well, now you know, and you guys got to realize when I graduated, time, and it was ninety nine. And then I said to myself, well, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to play guitar, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tour the world with a guitar. 99, by 2003, I was on a plane that landed in Amsterdam with that guitar and a, a bunch of buds, and it was like, well, we'll do this. And then that was till 2013. Then I quit and said, well, now, of course, I should become an academic. And then I went and... Uh, explored you mastered school yeah and then i was a professor of neuroscience and psychology at madai you know i was wondering if i I go it's gotta be the same guy it's the same guy it's the same guy (laughs) i love it yeah so i i went through education um there's no short story told in the Cactiverse, just so you guys know. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Got, we, no, we got nothing but time. We I got know. Swell. We I got, know. We're I know. excited to yeah. have you guys come yeah, and talk to really, us. I'm really so excited delighted. about this. So, uh, so I, I, I went through education, um, ended up getting into psychology and neuroscience, <laughs> and I was teaching. And the diagnostic aspect is a direct reference to the uh, uh, Statistical Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders, which is the DSM-5, which is a diagnostic of human behavior and mental illness that um, diagnosticians use to uh, evaluate divergent human thinking, you know. And uh, so it's an inventory of ideas. And at one point, you know, our publisher in Slovenia, uh, when he heard the title, you know, he said, uh, well, you should put like put a diagnostic, you know, and it tied right into the that sort of background. So that's where that came from. Uh, but I will close this thinking thread up with the getting back to Steven Seagal and the word <laughs> Earth. Uh, yes. What happens there is that in the book, uh, there's the Total Information Control Initiative, which is a government organization that's a totalitarian regime that's committed a dystopian word war where they've made books illegal. There's executions in the United States where booksellers um, and authors and thinkers are uh, put into camps and... Uh, um, they're basically banning uh, the written language. They're banning the word, and there's these word wars. 
Um, and the Total Information Control Initiative is performing something called thought frequency surveillance, where they are able to um, use something called Project Cloudhouse, where they're ionizing cloud structures to use them as um, means by which they can store and move in and out of evaluation of complete human thought. And then there are underground bovine um, uh, bins below an airport in the middle of the United States where they're using bovine brains to store all of the collected human thoughts of everyone in the United States to perform analysis on the types of potential identification of what are divergent thoughts that are threat to control and order. And there's a technology company called Neuroform where everyone in the United States is given a technology device called a Screen Sync Six, which essentially is an you know the analogy is the iPhone, but it's a high interface um, entertainment technology device which people get incredibly intensified uh, hits of dopamine from by wearing it and replacing their interface to the material world as we know it to then experiment with this new information system that a government organization and entertainment uh, and technology companies are just pushing information and people become these sort of dopamine fiends. How and, far off yeah. is he? Right. And, and, then, and then what they're offering is they're... It's like you're taking away people's creativity. You're, you're, you're absolutely taking away people's creativity and what the government and the technology companies are offering are an exchange, a one-for-one one exchange of uh, what we call full consciousness replacement in the book. Yeah, and that I saw is there's that, an advertisement. Yeah, <clears throat> right. For, in the two brains. For, brain for the, Neuroform the Screen six, 6 full consciousness replacement will give you access to streams of entertainment information in your digital uh, face helmet interface and we will then have full possession of your creative conscious agency, your will to create change in the world in exchange for the substitute of access to unlimited repeat pleasure through <laughs> entertainment. And what that is, is the argument in the book is that the most vitally threatening thing to control systems is creativity full, enlightened, transcendent human consciousness that's weaponized to use creative agency to create new possible worlds in which people agree there's other systems that we can explore. So why not uh, harness those things? And then in the book, there there's this fight where Jeff and I are traveling to say, we're going to write this book and we're going to get it published in the book itself will become a thing that creates a binding consciousness in the text itself that if readers get access to it through the text, they share a collective consciousness that allows them to transcend the control systems to enter what we call this unified field, which is this transcendent binding state of pure vibratory energy where people can exist freely with some utopian principles uh, written into it. Um, and then what happens is in that process, the biggest obstacle to performing this traditional hero's quest plot arc in the book through the center of this metafictional um, sort of archetypal structure, the book itself becomes our biggest object. We are now paper people inside a paper <laughs> text 
and the walls of the pages themselves become what we move through. And then we find access into these underground word tunnels where we escape total information control initiative surveillance while getting away from thought frequency surveillance because they start surveilling our thoughts while writing the book because they want to stop us from being able to publish this because if you get it you become you become dangerous you're in the cult of the cactus boots which is a cult of readers that are using books as a weaponization to fight totalitarianism so we go underground and we find a network below america of these word tunnels where we move through the entire collective history of written literature to escape detection from the control systems. Right. Like and then even we, what you're saying, like it, it intertwines so many stories. Sure. Like, sure. Yeah, you, like you know that you know there's stories right. that are influencing right. these other stories. Of course. Yeah, like it, it sounds on to get, you know, right. Sirens of Titan of off course. the bat. Sure. You know, and, like. and for me, like <laughs> I remember my dad being like, check out Breakfast of Champions, you know, yeah. and, and uh <clears throat> Slaughterhouse Five and Cat's Cradle and those books. And for me, William Burroughs and, and, and Vonnegut were the two early storytellers that, you know, hit me in a way where you go, oh, shit, you know, that this this is going to change my life. Yeah, like you write how you talk. Now that I'm talking to you and reading mm-hmm. some of the book, like, sure. now I'm understanding. Sure. You know, like, yeah. it's yeah. you don't really talk like Forrest Gump's mother to him. Sure. You know, but, of, of course. You know, but it, I, I can understand it if I take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now, now, now talking to you... It makes a lot more sense. You write how you write how you talk. <laughs> yeah, and and, and right. I, yeah, and, and, and I understand it now. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And Jeff can speak to that because we uh, spend so much time together, working together. We run a business together. We create art together. And I think I'm interested in how language systems structure human consciousness in a, a relationship aspect. That the fact that you and I. And there's an idea in the book of something that we call animal sounds, how there's this deconstruction that occurs where if there were word wars and we started to lose that connection between symbol and object and what I refer to as book and you refer to as book, the minute that that's gone, you and I are squawking at one another and we're essentially animals. And, and what is it in the cognitive processing phenomenon of human thinking that allows me to understand you and you to understand me when at the most primitive level we're just making sounds at each other? Yeah. And, and why, and why yeah. on a day-to-day level we don't wrestle with these ideas anymore in a way that's like shocking? And I struggle with this shit sometimes. I'll be at the gas station and get caught up in the fact that the kid's looking at me and I'm looking at him and I give him these papers and they mean something to him and I'm making sounds and he, and how is this not fucking phenomenal? Like, how is this Just not? Yeah. I, I, yeah. But, but all of these miracles have occurred real miracles by which one also then argues, wow, what happens if we start to reform our uh, interface with language systems, uh, creative systems, uh, 
power systems. Uh, I think we're more capable and dangerous, and, and we're a lot closer to being able to create radical change than we're given credit for. Let me, right. let me ask you this. How much of what's going on in the world influences your writing in uh, your mindset right now? Because, I mean, the world's a crazy place. Sure. And there's more information in that little box that we carry around right where you can get a little like i said earlier i got caught in a phil friedenberg wormhole sure, sure. you could i've been caught in that wormhole for <laughs> at least the past 45 minutes yeah. <laughs> i'm in a i'm in a strange phil friedenberg yeah. self-referential loop yeah. by which i can't escape yeah <laughs> well i think what you're kind of getting to to is simplest form and we talk about it all the time gratitude Sure. We don't. A lot of people just don't have that anymore. It's just like more. Sure. It, right. it goes yeah. back to stuff. And and yeah. that's even the thing is I'm telling you, like, if you want to just say gratitude in particular, I'm deeply humbled by the fact that I'm even endowed. I'm endowed with these cognitive and neurobiological systems that are almost autonomic. They're operating at a level of processing beyond my ability to even identify what's happening and i can still look at you and connect to compassion and 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 love and energy and uh these things are all transcendent of the sounds we make and how these systems aren't more interesting and discussed like you know i don't you might want to go into work tomorrow and be like but the bills won, but also we're operating at the level of pure fucking vibration. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good yeah. point. That's fucking yeah. startling. Yeah. You, you more hear the thing like when someone comes in, they're like, I couldn't go to my favorite pizza place. Sure. Because it burned down. What sure. a bad day sure. I'm having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me meanwhile, <laughs> in, 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 in the cognitive psychotropic mind fuck, I, 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 I don't know how to overcome the fact that these miracles are happening you know <laughs> but what what my point was you're a smart guy and you can really get caught in misinformation or yeah get uh start wondering things sure like you could start reading about anything from a simulation sure nowadays sure to last night i told him did you know there's a big hole in the Sierra? Yeah, Sierra I don't watch desert? the news. I like stay away did, from it. I'm yeah. a total news guy. Yeah, which is which is very dangerous, and it's I should have gave it up for Lent. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but you were uh, too inspired by your access to fish. <laughs> <laughs> there's so there's an aquatic Aquarian yeah. influence over your behavior yeah. that you otherwise can't explain. I haven't been to church. I, yeah, last yeah. time. Was uh, probably before you, I sure. seen you, so twenty four sure. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Easter's coming up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I, I want to say uh, two quick youth youth youthful stories uh, that I think now uh, there's no legally binding uh, relationship between uh, the past and the present, but there was a time where like me, my buddy L, and my other buddy L, blew out. Every window on the back wing of St. Martin's with with fucking stones. And I don't yeah. know if this is an HBO podcast that you guys are doing, but I'm sorry if I'm using carnal language. No, go ahead. But, um, yeah, we, we, like, got this, like, pile of land that was, like, mined out of that. I don't even know where kids, where kids would get such a savage 
pile of land. <laughs> like Probably the hole in the desert. Yeah, right? yeah, maybe the hole yeah. in the Sierra Nevada. <laughs> you know, but and we'd like we set it up and um, we there was a Seven Eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Abbott Pizza is, <laughs> and we we geared it up where we got this massive land particulate. Otherwise known in some circles as rocks, <laughs> and uh, we lit up the school and just like roasted the windows, and then just ran into Abbott Road. <laughs> and now, bear in mind, the church is across the street, and when you're fleeing a youth vigilante, you know, crime scene. You don't think much other than the rush has been completed, and then you're out there, and I, you know. Uh, I remember that. The next day at school, there was a big to-do. In oh, there was? Yeah, no. th- yeah, yeah. Someone yeah, put this land yeah, here yeah. and so, didn't use the toilet. Yeah. Someone redistributed uh, an entire <laughs> mining unit into the school. And, and did anyone do it? And I thought it was a very sort of like pragmatic uh, way to interrogate a bunch of Catholic school kids. <laughs> did anyone do that? And it was like... No. Uh, but that's the thing I remember. Um, you just drew lefty well, the rest of the year. They're like, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and, and I think he couldn't have done it. From, from what I recall, I could barely throw at that point. But when it was mounted into the, you know, the heavy theological oppression, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Tibetan. We, yeah, We're gonna throw yeah. rocks at more yeah, and see who did it. I've gathered the land. Uh, you know, uh, well, and then. Uh, an old classmate of yours says, ask him about Sister Michael. Now, I went okay. to St. Ambrose. Yeah. Mark, they used to, I would used to hear stories about older guys, guys my age, and then guys Phil, Phil's age, Phil's a year behind me. Tell me what you guys used to do this poor nun. She's dead oh, by boy. now. Yeah. Well, she's risen again. <laughs> <laughs> now, to argue that a Catholic nun is dead and bound to the sheer metaphysical implications that the rest of us are are, are uh, connected to is absurd. You know, she she's hovering neatly somewhere in the upper troposphere at Downing and Abbott, <laughs> constantly reviewing the thoughts of uh, carnal impulses of fifth graders. And I always thought, you know, the, the the deities, if you will, really are uh, like unhealthy voyeurs. <laughs> you know, like, hey, I'm the creator of the known universe. I'd like to spend my time evaluating the entire subjective interior subconscious of experience of a fifth grade Catholic kid. Like, meanwhile, let me arrange the grand architecture of the cosmos. Let me put some of this over here. Gateway to a parallel dimension here. Quantum mechanics over here. Philip Friedenberg through land masses through the windows. I want to get ever busted for that. No, not well. So is this a confession? If well. Father knew, I, you know. Uh, I yeah. say, he is also hovering. Yeah. <laughs> so the 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 sister Michael thing, I still have a drawing I made of her <laughs> to this day. Oh boy, that I've shown. I got to show it to you. Sometime. I've seen some of your renderings. Yeah, and, uh, veil exquisite. and all, and she uh, <laughs> she had a sort of. Um, 
uh, strange topography on her face <laughs> that was layers of extra components of skin and morsels and niblets. Morsels. Yeah, she, and that that you would think, uh, you know, it was For almost, every sin. Yeah, I it, got a morsel. Yeah, <laughs> so the morsels and components, almost as if. You were rebuilding the architecture of someone's face with bits and pieces of other people's bits and pieces of their faces as you went along, as if somewhere in the grand papal hierarchy all the way up to Rome, you know, right below the Sistine Chapel, there's the Sister Michael face reconstruction kit. That's where good. they'd send her to Rome, you know, on the sounds uh, like a great hobby. Yeah, on the weekend <laughs> to get new nublets put yeah. in, like uh, you know the jaw region. Uh, but she was, uh, you know, she'd whip your hands with ru- the ruler, and you know she'd also uh, pass intoxicating levels of methane <laughs> gas <laughs> through a room that could. Uh, scare and isolate a, 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 gr- a group of seventh graders. Uh, so she, she was either going to hit you with a ruler or you were going to come back at her with some sort of, uh, you know, self-preservation retaliation mechanism of like, what can we do to maybe just uh, get her off her game a little bit, which yeah, is funny. I, I, I didn't go there, but you'd hear these stories and thank God they didn't have video, but they'd be like, hey, fuck you, sister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but, and she couldn't hear. She couldn't hear. Or even, she oftentimes, other than in the route exercise of practicing arithmetic, you didn't have any identifiable signs that there was thinking going on. You know, it was like a golem built out of clay. It was just, you know, reciting spirituality and arithmetic, which creates a strange um, nun bot, if you will, <laughs> with dangerous uh, accuracy with a ruler. Huh? Yeah, da- yeah, very precise uh, yeah. Uh, work with the ruler. Yeah, that's funny. So Jeff, yeah. we get into artist and explain the whole visuals it says visuals by jeff walton on the book the book is america and the cult of the cactus boost a diagnostic why visuals explain that to us boys well uh it kind of starts with the whole marketing campaign that phil and i did ourselves where you know we we knew we were gonna start doing this book and he started feverishly writing hours and hours a day coming in and debriefing me and we gotta we gotta get an instagram going and we got an instagram going and we put a bunch of cryptic things up there i built a website <laughs> i don't know how to build i don't my brother builds the internet from scratch he's a master but i barely know my way around wordpress but so you know i say visuals there's there was a lot of just you know design graphic design that went into this thing and you know, we were talking about the ad for the subconscious re- replacement. You know, I, I had to make that. You know, that, right, that doesn't yeah. exist. And uh, there's a lot of. A lot of was we, there throwing it around? Was it like, is there um, a lot of the camaraderie of it was like, this is good. Like, <laughs> you telling each other. Oh, yeah. You know, like, this is good. This is uh, good. Encouraging. In, in, ter- in terms of a. Qu- the one unique thing in terms of a qualitative evaluation of thinking what you're doing is good if that's what you're asking i was so lucky to have the one person in the world that i could just say things to and without ever thinking beyond that he could create 
perfect, brilliant renderings of exactly what you're what you're describing, and that's unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's to Jeff's credit is that a lot of this worked because how often um, can you achieve that? Like even for example here, this this is a um, a neuroform replacement grandma <laughs> in the book. I just think it's so creative, dude. And, 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 yeah, it's got the manual and, and everything. And now, yeah. And now, this guy has the quick start manual on how to <laughs> fire how to, up your replacement grandma. So I'm just gonna tell you real quick. Um, it says books are powerful, meaningful things that are deeply built into the very fabric of our world. And now we too had built ourselves into one. The word wars on the surface of America were now being won by the readers of America in the cult of the cactus boots of diagnostic. As our timelines began to merge across parallel possible worlds within the cactiverse, as there was a world in which the book had already been published, the Total Information Control Initiative had been destroyed by readers who then entered completely into the unified field. There was a world in which the book was never published and the TICI had exterminated the word. Then the total human population through full consciousness replacement died, lost under the complete pleasure stream of endless images, replacing the species with neuroform replacement grandmas. <laughs> so what this argues... I fucking missed you. <laughs> <laughs> I missed you too. So, so what we're arguing is that there's a multiverse. And that is just a simple quantum mechanical idea that any set of propositions or actions have a universe in which they're expressed. And we ex- Murphy's law, sure, well, Sod's law, whatever law you sure, want. Sure, sure. And, 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 and we play with that in the book of there are these parallel worlds where there's positive outcomes and negative outcomes. And your access to creativity or not might determine which level of consciousness that you have a perceivable access to. And that simply means that the four of us could see and share the same world, but through this sort of occult alchemical access to higher levels of consciousness, we can see different things. So that's just a funny case of there's an argument in the book that there is a world where the heroes fail. And the oppressive total information control initiative replaces all of human consciousness with uh, android uh, replacement grandmas (laughs) that just vacuum empty homes in a world where uh, that is what the expression of our uh, collective consciousness is capable of. So to say to Jeff that, Oh, and and by the way, Jeff, like, I don't, can you, you draw a good yeah, fucking grandma? Can you draw? Like, yeah, can yeah, you yeah. draw? When you saw uh, that, like, there's had I to be like just belly yeah. laughing, can, right? Can you like, draw? Like, or, <laughs> can you draw a replacement grandma? And then to get, <laughs> like, and, and, and I got a checklist, and I'm like, oh, okay, replacement android grandma, got it. And to <laughs> not have someone close to you say, "You're out of your mind." Oh yeah. <laughs> Like, You're just like, that's right, yeah, replace with grandma. Not Everyone. only is it right, it's like a deliverable. Yeah. No problem, man. Absolutely, I, I got it. Uh, that one was relatively simple in comparison <clears throat> to, there's like a Cheney particle accelerator in there. That, yeah, that yeah. was uh, rather complex. That, uh, there's a part in the book 
where there's a Dick Cheney particle accelerator. Oh, yes, I saw it. It's like the yeah. suitcase. Soul fragments. And, yeah. and we get into this whole talk that there was a kid that was working at one of the cabins in the Bohemian Grove campsite. And Bohemian Grove is this, yeah. you know, long-standing, you know. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to tiptoe around it. You, I, I was reading about this. Yeah. You, like I told you, yeah. wormhole. Right. And the Bohemian Grove. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah, it well I go it, back to what Nixon said. Yeah. I mean I, I, I we can sit here all night and talk about this shit. Sure. That it, I started thinking to myself and my father, my my father's a smart guy. Yeah. And I was telling him, you know, who who I'm gonna be talking to yeah. this week and and he started giving me opinions and he's like Ask him about ask him about that because he's always wondered that as a kid because Nixon said in not so many words, there were different people doing different shit that sure. I didn't want to do. Sure. <clears throat> but you keep looking into this thing. Like I that's one of the things. I've I've watched a couple uh documentaries on it. Mm-hmm. And then the people that snuck in. Sure. Right. Sure. Wild shit. And you have information coming out of it <clears throat> where there's manifests of who's attending it every year. And and those are real names and they're all it's the global elite. <clears throat> and there's a global elite present, and we're calling attention to it, but we're saying <clears throat> it's real and it's absurd, but let's look at it. And all of those things tie into these deep threads of a thousand years of the occult and alchemy. And <clears throat> there's this scene in the book where Dick Cheney's participating in the cre- cremation of care ceremony where there's, you know, effigies burned in right. the woods. Okay, and you have the world's power elite in the woods, in costume, performing occult alchemical rituals, burning owl effigies and things along this line. And, and if you think these people have your best interest in mind, you're wrong. It's fucking You're it, you're mistaken. It's so crazy because you know, you 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 mentioned it to someone be like, yeah, "All right." But then, it, like, I'll show it to him, and I showed it to another friend of mine. And they're like, "What the fuck is going yeah. on here?" Yeah. yeah but, but and the the thought of that too is, these are the people that you're substituting your fundamental rights to the care, and 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 stewardship of. Yeah. The well being of my family and my future and the grand geopolitical construct of the world is being put in the hands of these people and you think that when you go and you vote that they have your best interest in mind you think any of these people at the end of the day they want power and they want consumption and they want control and they want annihilation and they also are interested as hedonists and pleasure so we have uh we have cheney at the cremation and care ceremony and uh, <laughs> Dick Cheney's there, and he's participating. And there's this metaphysical event that occurs where he has his soul blown out of his body that comes out in these little geometric, geometric fractal particles, and then they're put back into his body again. And there's a kid who's working as a waiter in the campsite delivering milkshakes to the Bush family, uh, and the one kid goes, oh, there's some Dick Cheney soul fragments. I'm going to go snatch those up. (laughs) And he gets the Dick Cheney soul fragments, and he saves them, and then he leaves Bohemian Grove 
And then there's this period where then he himself, as a young teen white male in America, decides, well, I don't want to go through the heavy work and heavy lifting of thinking uh, intellectually about the existential dread I feel in the world, so I'm going to play video games. And he can't come up with the money to buy the new Call of Duty video game. So he goes on to like a Craigslist. That's where and, I step in. And that's where Jeff steps in, and he puts his Dick Cheney soul fragments up for sale oh. so he could buy the new Call of Duty. And yeah. Jeff, who's a Voynich manuscript specialist and interested in the esoteric and occult arts, buys them. It's a hobby. And <laughs> saves them. And then there's a part in the book where now we, Philip and Jeff, just have these Dick Cheney soul fragments. And we say, well, we're going on this grand, you know, uh, uh, odyssey. We better bring them with us. And there's this part where, you know, problem-solving storyteller, what do you do with them? We go down these ladders and we get into the underground word tunnels and we turn into words and numbers. We turn into binary code when we transition from <laughs> men of the flesh into paper men in the book. And we say... Well, all we can see is code. How can we navigate a word world as men that are paper people in a in a book? The only practical fix. Well, let's get the Dick Cheney particle accelerator out, which is a device that Jeff made. It's just like the grandma. Yeah, yeah, and then we put them on our eyes, and when you look through the Dick Cheney soul fragments from the particle accelerator, it transforms your perception so that you can perceive. You can be my dungeon master any day. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you mean any week. Yeah. Any week. week. You get through that joint. But, but that's right. just an idea of some of the things. So that, uh, creative, Phil. And yeah. i, I got to congratulate you because – through you know over the years I've heard, yeah. I heard that you were doing uh soundtracks for TV shows was that true uh I don't Your have... music was it was oh, out there Oh um I when you start to you play in a band you're doing things uh maybe what this story is if I can break it down how I understand it uh one of the things that happened like the first time you know, I knew what I was doing. I knew what we were, and I'm also humbled. And you know, the the more that I've done, the more I go, man. I there's so much I f feel that I haven't done. But you've done. You have done a lot. I, mean, you know, I don't know if people tell you that, but I mean, just just in the past week, yeah, going over and then sure. you know. Yeah. Right. Very impressive. Right. I appreciate that. Almost the, not reinventing yourself. What were we saying earlier? You didn't reinvent yourself. You just became more creative, I think, maybe? Well, I think it was d daring to say that um, I have enough evidence that daring to create a non-traditional trajectory for your place in the world is somewhere you can feel strikingly at home. And that's the thing that uh, disrupts the traditional and conventional structures of someone's life is that that becomes the architecture of your safety, uh, your safety network is that, well, I feel safe to convention, but you have no authorship in the convention by which you claim home. And what I mean by that is that you've adopted a sociocultural construct that's been argued will provide you satisfaction and pleasure if you follow it through, you'll be happy. 
But what happens is a lot of times people take those conventional constructs and then go, wait, I was told by the powers that be that the conventional construct <laughs> provides satisfaction and happiness for me. But then I realize I have no creative agency in the development and cultivation of that world that I live in. And then you become passive and you become the end result of advertising and entertainment and uh, political stewardship. This is how I'm uh, directing the ship of entertainment, pleasure, and politics. And you don't have a say anymore because you've forfeited your ability to author a dangerous new creative world. And I always shifted gears in my life just saying, I know the fraudulent nature of these social cultural constructs. I'm not going to participate in them. So I'll create an author, a new reality <laughs> in uh -huh. which you it's 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 utilitarian, it's altruistic and it's modeled off trying to bring the greatest good to the greatest number and say, hey, this is what we're up to. And if you want to come in and enjoy it and share it, you're only going to make it better. And that's what the book argues, is that this is our creative construct. It's our new possible world. And the moment that you invest any aspect of your consciousness into it, it becomes grander because I'm bigger than this and you're bigger than this. And when we abandon this illusion of self, we tap into these uh, more sort of transcendent energies, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, that's very like finishing a book is like it had to be an incredible feeling. Sure. Uh, and yeah. when 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 that was wild. When yeah. do you guys say it's done? They say like artists, you know, they they have to know when the book is done. Was there ever like a revised time or was it like th it, you laid it all out and just kept going? I think we went we went till about five thirty in the morning uh, the the morning that it was due. And even in at three thirty in the morning we're Oh, I want to draw. I want to draw. You know, Steven Seagal. Let me. Let me, let me just. I'm gonna put. Just give me ten. Ten minutes. I'm gonna start banging out real quick. And, and yeah, that's. Uh, it, there's a belief, you know, and we had a really small world that he lived in, and I lived in, and our family lived in, our wives, and we had a publisher. And what you guys got to realize. In the grandiose scheme of this whole thing, I was just an obsessive reader. I was obsessive. Like the, the rate at which I read is a result of why I've been able to do this. Yeah. Is that I argue that you have to read a thousand books before you write a book. And what you have yep. to ask yourself is this, and my measurement for the demand to share a creative contribution is this. If what you envision exists in the world, you're relieved of the responsibility to share that art with the world. You're relieved. The minute that I want, uh, you know, the you know, Buffalo Sabres Center, or I want the uh, Shovel Company, or I want Blink-182, if those things are there and your creative urgency is to emulate something that pre is pre-existing, then you're, what are you creating for? I think there's a, a strong push to say 
The minute you're burdened by living with a vision that doesn't exist in the world, it's immediately your responsibility to create it. It's immediately your responsibility to share that alternative view of our look into the potential of our world, not only for the cathartic expression of what you're going through, but what we've learned from this book is that there's a very powerful, very real thing where people that have families and loved ones and they share the same fears and anxieties and hopes about the world we live in go, holy shit, you just described the world in a way that I've never seen done before and I feel more capable and complete. And that shit is powerful. Yeah. You, you become a part of somebody's consciousness it, when it, they read your stuff. And share and, it and contribute yeah. it and feel at home in the world again when it's constantly being displaced by nefarious forces that don't want you seated in the ability to really change the world in a creative and powerful way that takes away from profit and power. It's pretty simple. Yeah. You're contributing to profit and power or you're, uh, you're threatening it. And it's 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 a very simple view, you yeah, know. And, and on top of that, you're blow. You guys are blowing up. I mean, all over the world. Like when you said when you came in. I mean, and I don't I don't want to call it a book club, but I've seen some interviews with you guys, and the guys are so geeked to have. Like I'm taking this so for granted that you know the, yeah. the left winger from the Kaz Brew. And this is your first novel. Yeah. It, it, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's awesome. yeah and, I mean, that's Jeff, great. Jeff, like the visuals aspect, like there's no part of the book that exists without Jeff in that all the I was just pouring the raw materials in and going, oh, well, can you type set a book? Yeah. You must know how. No, I don't. Yeah, but it's like music. Never, it's like it. yeah. it's like somebody saying, right. like, your tone is cool, man. Sure. Keep ripping. Sure. Yeah. You know, sure. it's it, like being like, I like the way you're sound and baby. And, and yeah. Smooth. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that. You know, I hadn't written a novel. Um, he never typeset or designed a novel. Even if you look at it, you know, to Jeff's credit, this is a workable. This is a workable maze. The labyrinth on the outside of the book oh. is solvable. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's real. And Jeff oh, built. Wow. And Jeff built this by hand. Wow. And if you even look. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier. Yeah. And what you have to do, there's another fun thing that starts to happen where in the book, like there's a lot of these metafictional, um, you know, uh, ideas that we're exploring where at one point we end up traveling through our facility and, you know, we're trying to find, we've been told through these transmissions from the great beyond where we have this old Zenith radio and Rick Harsh, the publisher of the book, is sending us these messages saying, well, you got to write this book and this is what you have to do next and you have to figure it out. <laughs> and that's like really, and yeah. he was yeah. really the publisher? Yeah, and he's yeah. really the publisher of the book. So and he's sending you messages. Yeah, yeah so yeah. what? Those okay. messages now yeah. now I'm understanding. Right. And, and that's really what happened was that you guys, it's worth noting that what's so irrational about this is that creativity follows rules by which we don't know uh, – the boundaries of and in that it shouldn't work this way but it did and then when you use some of the rules well, use the, yes, the rules like yeah, a toolbox yeah a toolbox <laughs> but then all of a sudden you go well I, 
I, I'll, I'm now I'm salmon fishing, you know, <laughs> on the on the backside of a bald eagle, you know, and I, well, that shouldn't work, but it does because I wrote it. Because <laughs> I wrote it, yeah. and that's what you start to play with is like, like, well, sh- the things that I imagine can be just as real as the things that I'm limited by, but we. I just found out about Rick Hirsch's novel, The Manifold Destiny of Eddie Vegas, which was a book. And I found it through a, a YouTube guy named Chris Villa, who's a critic and, and, and a scholar. And um, he's a, a, become a friend. And I just went, well, I got to find this book, you know, because I want to read the next wild book. And yeah. I heard about this Manifold Destiny of Eddie Vegas. I contact the guy. It's this guy in, in Slovenia. And he's got a publishing company. And to get the book, you have to email him and contact him and tell him you want it because none of these systems use Amazon or any conventional. So I have to contact this guy in Slovenia. Hey, I want your book. And he says, uh, yeah, okay, you know, uh, sounds good. And then he and I and Jeff start talking and then – in this process, I find out, well, he's got to ship me the book from Slovenia. And I go, well, this is it. I'm 40. When I was 20, I said I'd write my first novel at 40. <laughs> it's This is it. This is the synchronicity. Yep. This is the moment that has told me it's time to launch. And then we started and we went, okay, this is it. I'm going to write a book <clears throat> about writing a book. While I wait for that book to come in the mail. Okay, so now, yeah. okay, yep. it all makes sense. And yeah. and that that is the start of the entire project. And then it began, I said to Jeff, I said, Jeff, could you imagine if all of a sudden we get uh, some messages from Rick Hirsch and he sends us on this exotic adventure <laughs> where we have to publish the book and... We follow that thread, and it takes us into this absurd world. And then we lived a parallel life that was fiction with our real lives while communicating with Rick Harsh. And then there was just a certain point where we became the book and, and, and wrote it as we went. Rick Harsh, uh, the archangel of the book, never read a word of it until it came off the press to his hands in Slovenia. He trusted and cared for us enough. I sent him a message at one point. I said, Rick, I'm going to write a novel about waiting for your book to come in the mail, and I'm going to write, and I'm going to start. And you're going to be a character, and I'm going to be a character, and Jeff's going to be a character. Sound good? And he said, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then I said, wonderful. Then two days later, I wrote four pages, and I sort of went, I can't stop. Yeah, and you. Um, if the listeners can't see this book, it is it's, a, it's over five hundred pages. It's It'll stop the and, door. Uh, this is a yeah. huge undertaking for a first novel. It, I'm gonna it, say. It, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's. Uh, fifth novel is this big. Sure. It's, a <laughs> it's, it's a big green. It's brick. the big green brick. Uh, <laughs> it's impressive. Oh, yeah, and then impressive. we uh, we started, and then a couple days later, when I had a few pages, I said, "Will you publish this?" And he said, "Absolutely." Wow. Absolutely. And then I he he only knew about the crazy bearded guys in Buffalo, 
that we're going to write a book. So that's how it began. And then we wrote and wrote and drew and designed. And within nine months, this thing was wow. was done and, and, and here. And the, the marketing campaign, again, I'll just bring it back up just because it was so weird is this the marketing campaign still what's it this this is actually it's non-stop yeah yeah Yeah, i was gonna get yeah we're in the book we're in the this is in the book (laughs) we um it's ever continuing we uh we had this website makeamericacultagain.com it's still live (laughs) um but we had a little topical jeff (laughs) you know we had uh we had uh, clues that we'd release like time released you know every week or so we'd release a clue about the book and everyone's like what is this book about so <laughs> guys like, are, these guys are going bad shit over your book yeah we built a, a mythology i guess you could yeah, say. yeah yeah and uh and and what we we believed in it is what oh, we wholeheartedly. did and that's the power of it is two people believing in something and creating it and that's contagious and it's creating dang, something and it's from nothing from nothing. And That's the thing, the great... I, it, it, so from nothing into something that I want to tell you on page 423 of the book, I'll read it right now. The very first thing, the words that I wrote for this book started on a yellow post-it note. At work, next to him, in in my office, and I look over and I see him, and I wrote on a post-it note these words. I thought, I'm going to write a book. Okay, so one thinks, how does one begin writing a book? Well, throw mama from the train. (laughs) Samuel Samuel Anderson woke up on a foggy early morning. He began to traverse uh, his troublesome day and fired up the old Buick and drove on down the road. How I started America in the Cult of the Cactus Boots, a diagnostic, was wrote onto a yellow post-it note, the first words of the book, which appear on page 423. Old cactus boots under a bus make magic clouds that rain down on the graves of old finger foods. (laughs) I got a book. I'm a novelist. I'm going to write a book, put that on a post-it note, showed it to Jeff, then... And you did this, and, and, dangled yeah, in your beard. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Hand straight I like to the it. Well, yeah. 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 yeah, and and then I, I sent it to Rick. We, we made a video saying it and, yeah, together, and then we have a video, yeah. and then all of a sudden Rick, in this like Tom Waits voice, <laughs> sends us an audio message back and says. Old cactus boots under a bus make magic clouds that rain down on the graves of old finger foods. And then Jeff and I did it back. And then we started like exchanging yeah, yeah. these exotic lines, like as if we were in this Tom Waits song. And what I <laughs> care to share is simply this there's a moment in every single person's day that will listen to this podcast. No matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what their history is, no matter what their future is, no matter what limitations they have on them, no matter what uh, set of impossible-to-perceive obstacles are between them and their dream, there is a real definitive 
post-it note moment in your day where you can decide I'm going to fucking do this or not. And it will be your responsibility to decide whether or not you want to go in the into that multiverse where today I'm going to create a new possible world. Whether or not that means you're going to be the best roofer that has ever been known and the west side, the east side, the north side, and the south side, or you're going to be an artist, or you're going to be an architect, or you're going to be a musician, or you're going to be a farmer, or you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, you name it. There's a moment in every single day where you have an option to choose what path you will take, and you can create that if you believe strongly in it enough. And he and I being here with you guys today is the one fundamental example of that. Yeah. yeah. You can make a choice. And it's your belief in the power of creativity that you can turn a post-it note. Someone went from, you know, aerospace engineering to the Stone Age. And there's real steps between those critical evolutions where it comes down to human creativity. Are you going to harness it today or not? <clears throat> yeah, be proud of what you do. Sure. No matter and, what you do. And follow it yeah. through, you know, yeah. and create it. I'm with you. Yeah. So you should be talking to young people because i think you've evolved as a unbelievable human and <laughs> i'm proud of you um uh, I, and, and, and i'm proud of you oh. and and you and i are here together oh I know. and and, and the, the, there's reasons why yeah, yeah. jim's uh you know when we started this you know you could listen back we're not good you know, you know, we're <laughs> a lot like, more Jim you know, Kelly you, jokes. You, oh. you, we, we progressed and Jim became, you know, really good at like, you know, yeah, just sitting down, just even setting it up. Well, sure. It's the bartender know. thing. Too. Sure. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Shit artist. You know, well, you know, there's another thing, too, is what have we decided to do with our Sunday night? Right. We I'd rather do this. Yeah. We're we're four uh, creative, compassionate individuals that have chosen to talk about ideas. And we're going to talk about Hulk Hogan right now. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't want to forget about this. All right. So yeah. when Phil walks in, he said he had a story about Hulk Hogan and with the tattoo. We and then we him. automatically are like, well, we took our vitamins. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I want to be a Hulkamaniac. <laughs> Those were the first weights I had. They had like a weight, up, yeah. weight set and it was like... It was Hulkster. And all and of us, at with some it. point or another, Get were in eBay. a. Let's go. <laughs> we were all in a driveway from Abbott to McKinley to South Park where someone. Oh, Jeff Noak. We melted. We oh, melted God. so many wrestling figures. <laughs> yeah. There like, were tons oh, yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. We, we, they, they, they were melted. My brother yeah. melted all my shit. Man, yeah. That's for yeah. sure. I shot uh, my stuff with BB guns. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, this Hulkster sure. story. And it ties into one of the critical concepts, and this is um, – I'm like I, I'm one of the – I try to get – I try to share the creative thinking of like, okay, how does this shit work? How do, how do we do this? I'm really fascinated by the idea of new combinatory play. Um, and what I mean by that is that's – and I don't mean this in a – I feel like, okay, how are you going to go from Hulk Hogan to Albert Einstein? <laughs> Can and, you get there? Yeah. Very easily. And I'm going to... I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah. Simple. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to I'm gonna bring you... I'll bring you there real quick. Einstein had this idea of uh, inspiring uh, ideas and fostering new creative thinking. And he said, to come up with new ideas, 
if you think in the problem-solving construct of where the problem exists, you'll never come up with an accurate solution because the solution to the most complex problems exist in a paradigm transcendent of the limitations of the problem. And a lot of people get caught up in saying, well, I'm going to problem solve by thinking about the problem within it. But you're going to get stuck in a new variation of the potential of the problem. So you have to create a new paradigm by which you can observe the problem and create a new construct that resolves the tensions of those conflicts that are limiting you from evolving because it's an elevation thing. It's a resonant consciousness. It's a hierarchy of energies. So he's proposed new combinatory play. You have to combine variables that have never been combined before as a daily practice. And if you experiment with thinking in a way where you put things together in a new paradigm or construct that have never been combined before, you're going to start to have uh, perceptual access to ideas that you've never had before because you're changing the construct and the paradigm. So what do I do? How do I interpret that in a cultural way? I'm playing with new combinatory play. Put Hulk Hogan on rollerblades <laughs> holding Pee Wee Herman over the threshold. <laughs> so that's the tattoo you have. Yeah, I don't remember which leg it's on. It's on this one. So let's just 50-50 chance. 50-50 chance every time. Okay. So let's just get up there. Snuggle up on there. Oh, yeah. That's nice. He's got him like a little baby. So oh, man, small. he's got Hogan, the onesie Hogan on. Is carrying Pee Wee Herman. With rollerblades. That's fucking... So that's my secret weapon if you ever wanted me to validate my sense of humor in public. <laughs> I've got an easy way to prove that I have a sense of humor. Uh, so that that's actually an exercise, a new combinatory play. Who has ever... And it's funny because my dad and I used to go through these like play scenarios of like, well, what about Alf with a guitar on Manute Bowl's shoulders? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, for that that's too. Ein, yeah. yeah, that's Einstonian. Full back. Yeah, full back, ba fully back it. So, I get that tattoo, you know, because it's an exercise. Yeah, yeah, way. it's an exercise in new combinatory play. So then, um, Hulk Hogan's coming to town, and I'm immediately like, uh, now I have access to to meet him. <laughs> and my whole thing, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna show him. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, don't worry, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there, all the synchronicities are. My whole family. Where's he at? Niagara Falls at like uh, a Comic Con uh, or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The convention center. Okay. Yeah. So he comes in, you know. Uh, him and Batwoman or something, you know. Uh, He's air guitar. Yeah, whatever. That's you, how I picture Yeah, him, whatever you want to do. Always air guitar through the so crowd. So I'm, I'm like, I'm going, and my principal <laughs> function is to show this guy, this human being, my tattoo, and that I don't care about. I'm on a mission. I like, I don't care about anything other than I'm walking to Hulk Hogan. I'm looking him in the eye, and I'm saying. Brother, take a yeah. look at this. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to fuck his head up with this is a guy. I mean, I want to tell the like, listeners yeah. that this tattoo is huge. Yeah, it's yeah. a little tattoo. Yeah, this is, 
This isn't your This isn't your garden variety tramp stamp. No, this what, are you, is, what are you, six one? I'm, I'm, I got a couple sixes. How many hours were you laying there for that? Yeah. So uh, in my whole loving family, uh, my wife, two girl daughters, uh, oh, what are we doing today? We're going to Comic-Con to show Hulk my tattoo. <laughs> and we pay the VIP package to get access. Well, and, yeah, and, at and, this point. And I'm walking up to Hulk Hogan with my pant leg already up. Yeah, flashing you know, gang signs. Yeah, like, like here I am. Well, I'm, I'm selling well, dime bags, or I'm showing Hulk Hogan my TV He's going to go in for the wolf pack. And, and now my thing is I'm going in, and I'm hitting him with, take a look, and then can we cre- recreate this? Will you hold me over the threshold? <laughs> That's he? my in. That's my, oh, like, my hey, God. guys, nice to meet you. First of all, goddammit, hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I roll up to Hulk, to Hulk Hogan. I show him that, and I ask him, can can you can you, can you hold me? <laughs> hold me, brother. Yeah, brother. Hey, brother. Can you hold me? And he then proceeds to tell me about all his back injuries, and he's not currently equipped to to throw me over this the big thermos yeah, cock. Yeah, 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 right. Absolutely. Jim's, Jim's always surprised that he he's like that never showed. Sure, the- sure. <laughs> But then you watch that. I mean, you had to watch the Hulkster video. That's a now, part of getting older. Now, bear in mind, uh, five years before this, I toured in a band where for an entire U.S. tour from the East Coast to the West Coast, everyone in the band, we all read the Hulk Hogan autobiography. And then we started to take samples from the book and play them between songs. So the only time that the band would talk to the show would be in Hulk Hogan autobiography samples uh, across America. And like, if you're not flirting with creativity and go, yo, I just toured the United States in a rock band and never talked to an audience in anything other than Hulk Hogan pre-recorded sample quotes. If that's not an example that you could do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) And that's all my problem is I just did a lot of things where I was like, you shouldn't be able to do that. Well, we did and it was fun. So then I get up and I see Hulk and he declines to snuggle me like Pee Wee and, uh, and, and, and then there's just this moment where Hulk Hogan sort of face, faces this existential time of like, I'm facing a person that's thinking of things that I don't even understand how they're operating. Where would you think of that? So he says, all right, first of all, brother, how the hell do you even think of something like that? And says to me, did someone hit you over the head with a metal bar? <laughs> like Hulk Hogan's only proximal evaluation of creative functioning is brain injury. <laughs> like this guy, like you, so you got hit in the head? Clearly, yeah. <laughs> like you're brain damaged because yeah. creativity at that level is only. And this is a guy that also, bear in mind, wrote the closing scene of the No Holds Barred film in the film producer's office while he was on the toilet. That's a true story. It no is. holds wow. barred. It is. So then Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, does, uh, wow, you know, that's a lot. And then we take pictures, family pictures that my wife and daughters, we sent a Christmas card out one year that was <laughs> me, excellent. the girls, and, and Hulk Hogan. But you're leaving out who else was there. Yeah, so then that late, so what happened was the picture was done. We got the picture. I did a solo picture with Hulk Hogan, family picture. Then we leave, and then there's another thing where, like, you know, oh, yeah, you got to pay 80 more dollars if you want him to autograph anything. And I'm like, okay, oh. it's, it's time. 
and I roll up and straight up like a kid from South Buffalo that watched Bloodsport and Kickboxer <laughs> and Cyborg and like obsessed with Jean-Claude Van Damme. I roll up and JCVD a leg kick of that tattoo up onto his table and I'm like, Hulkster, you're going to sign this, all right? <laughs> He's like, what are we signing for? You got a picture? No, bud, you're signing the tattoo. <laughs> and I do a JCVD of a rear leg kick up onto the table, and Jimmy Hart comes running over. Hey, buddy, what's that? You know? Whoa, what do you got? What, what is that? I don't wear black silk oh, underwear. Yeah, what is that? And Whoa, Hulk's baby. just like, oh, yeah, brother, look at that this guy. Oh, my, what is that thing? Whoa. And then Hulk Hogan signs my leg in permanent marker, and then I'm – my pant legs up, and you know you're humming. Yeah, and look at the pants are stitched almost onto my leg. There's not a lot of room to give. Then I gotta keep it up, and then I call my tattoo guy, and I'm like, "Bud, it happened." <laughs> Hogan just signed my leg. Like, clear your schedule. I'm coming over. Yeah. And he cleared the deck and was like come over absolutely and then i drove from the convention center to the tattoo shop to have him yeah to autograph that but tying back to the book (laughs) all of that is an einstonian principle of new combinatory play you know and i i think it's powerful and we have these word fever passages in the book where when you read it it says like survive and fulfill his ultimately conquering the life is on the line duty nibicus is the traveler through his travels reason gargles from the hours of his being he is in his travels goes to individuals and they propose to him a verbal triangle questions soak in inked paper of word what in the verbal hell is a verbal triangle a verbal triangle i will always salvage constitutional toothpaste security in that vast car that the nasty revolution ages ahead triplets were squared through multiplication then tech trance tactics chip listened origin a number-based loophole pocket of time mousetrap a down scrolling of taking the place a boondoggle film show mated with an invisible cargo slug combating the solution jettison a backtrack of life's pocket revolve thinking is hard Thinking is hard. The conducting, the backtrack of the symposium towards zero is mollify the backward called age stood Nibicus O. And it's a word fever section of the book where we deconstruct language to pure vibration and we detach language from its representation and we have new combinatory play at its most fundamental practice. And it's at that point that when a reader has gone through a word war and has deconstructed words to pure vibration, they read the word fever sections of the book and then they transcend through the symbol in the book and they access a new elevated level of consciousness. So the book serves as an object of consciousness by which in reading it, you have portals into higher dimensions. And that comes from uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, it comes from Einstein and it comes from new combinatory play. But it argues that the book is a manual for elevating your consciousness and having access to a transcendent unified field where everything is energy and everything is vibration and everything is consciousness and the limitation of the material world devolves into energy. And that's working through the book. And we're using fiction and we're using art as a mechanism to make the case 
that these are very real things and, and you can practice them. And if you read this book, the book itself is entertainment. And the argument is that we have so many options in our world today to not read and to not think and to not talk. And you can choose to not do any of those things or you can empower yourself through the hard work of thinking. And if you commit to it, the rewards are so much higher if I want to operate on a level where all I'm dealing with is the satiation of certain pleasures, then the return on that investment <clears throat> of your work is going to be very limited. It's masturbatory. How many times can I habituate the sensory return on eating this pizza pizza and then the next piece of pizza and the next piece of pizza, watching this episode and then that episode and that episode, voting for this mayor and this senator and this congressman and this president. It's my Friday night. <clears throat> and it's the Friday night. Or you say, I'm going to commit to the hard work of thinking and I'm going to try to entertain new ways of combining ideas to create new possible worlds. And that's what fiction should be. And for thousands of years, books have been the way that our species has communicated the central idea. So don't you think books will be one of the first things that the power structures attack? Take away your books. Take away your access to word. Your take creativity. Away, take other away, people's yeah, creativity. Take away your creativity ideas. and your ideas. And then right. all of a sudden, I'm a lot easier to control. Because yeah. we're threatening when we're creative. Take because away we, their we, ability to focus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are you... Attention is the new economy. Outside... outside attention of, spans are gone, by sure, the way. Sure, right. <laughs> well, outside of uh, the book, how, sca how scared are you? going forward in life i mean there's crazy shit it's almost like it, it, it's a it's a written story and there's actually an evil guy sending things to space sure like sure. which is which is unbelievable maybe not but my craziness in the world do you feel that as a writer that it's hard to keep up what's going on in society um, my cynicism is always trumped by my optimism mm -hmm. and that is thriving right now because every single day we are getting feedback from people that are saying this book is a meaningful thing in my life. Right. And to me that suggests that we're open to experiencing new possible ideas. And people are hungry for change. People are hungry for a new orientation to their potential. And we are not told enough that we can cultivate our ideas into very real, measurable, sometimes 600-page yeah. outputs <laughs> of what the fuck you're thinking. Yeah. What are you thinking about and how are you using those thoughts to connect with other people? And the fact that we can share this opportunity is remarkable. Yeah, we I can like the talk idea. And share ideas. I like the idea of selling the book on creativity, not uh, a political agenda. Sure, a, uh, it's fantastical voyage. It's sure, just saying it, it it's is. all creativity. It's an idea. Right. It's yeah, absolutely. And it's exciting to hear that it's inspiring people to take their own creative journeys and yeah, that's I mean, real yeah, feedback really, we get you're really <laughs> making a dent around around the globe yeah. for sure 
and, and which would hats off to you. And it's available at uh, this. They got uh, this copy was bought at uh, Talking Leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's available. <clears throat> we had a few available. Um, we need well, to make it available at this bookstore, yeah. which we yeah, need to do. Sure, we can arrange that, and um, that would be fun tying in with the show because there's yeah, we'll peop- there's people that will say, well, well, how do I get it? The simplest way is to just go to coronasamas.com, which is the website for our publisher, and we have a, a shopping cart there where, like anything else you buy over the Internet uh, these days, just – Pick yourself one up and uh, easy to buy, and it ships from Europe. And uh, there's a lot of other great literature yeah, coming out of that. Yeah, and we're as surrounded well. by a community of remarkable, inspiring, independent, underground authors. There's you know, twenty plus books on the press, um, uh, including Rick Harsh, who, f- before he's a publisher, he's a astonishing author. You know, and um, we're just lucky to be surrounded by a group of uh, creative people that are daring to try to share and create things. Yeah, well, know? we'll try and get it available at a Dog Ears bookstore here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Jeff, well, the Instagram page I followed you today. Yeah. There's what, some creative what is, stuff. What is it called? Yeah. Which one? Your, your, your Instagram. Instagram. Uh, Matter Interacting. Yeah, it's, check uh, him out. There's and some... then there's another... Uh, yeah. What Loop, is it? Loops and Doodles? No, the, there, uh, there's one that I followed today. It's something Cactus. Uh, that's uh, probably Cactus That's boots. the book. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so what? Cactus Boots. That has its own Instagram? It does. Okay. And that's everything related to to the book. We share, you know. Um, yeah, if you go back. Yeah, we'll share some that, stuff. You'll see sure. Some yeah, we'll get that e- Even uh, just uh, for what it's worth, sharing uh, now, I wanted to tell you guys earlier, I thought it was wild. Um like w- reviews, people that read the book. Goodreads.com is a is a great resource mm-hmm. to read reviews that I think is a nice place where readers go and write reviews of books. And if I can read this real quick, this yeah, is just yeah. interesting like type of thing that, you know, <clears throat> just today I'm at home and, and, oh, there's a new review for the book. Yeah. Like, let's check it out. And, hey, Jeff, take a look. And uh, um, Brian, who was a reader of the book today, wrote, There's little precedent for what I just read. I mean, how does one review an experience? It's like trying to explain what love feels like. Philip Friedenberg, Jeff Walton, Rick Harsh, America and the Cult of the Cactus Boots, a Diagnostic, is a book that defies all structure and form, blazing a trail even as it abandons the path. It is, by its final page, less a book and more a conscious object, a shared projection by author, publisher, and reader. It is ostensibly a book about writing a book while waiting for a book to arrive in the mail, but in another possible world, it's a documentation of the word wars, the beginning of a dystopian language apocalypse involving a totalitarian regime and rebel word terrorists who embark upon a grand quest of transcendence after sudden induction into the aforementioned cult, spreading the seeds of a new abstract theology of never-before-combined wordplay. Phil and Jeff are both architects and bewildered participants in this strangest of journeys. 
Everything is working on more than one level here. It's all layers. It's a semiotic soup of metafictional essence, a maximalist manifesto of imagination and transmission. It mixes psychedelic mysticism with literary erudition, occult ramblings with political commentary, historical analysis with metaphysical absurdism. It's sheer mimetic hilarity, a wonderland of alchemical madness and nonlinear delight. It's a warning against authoritarian tendencies and the decay of creative thought that manages to both hideously be relatable and delightfully playful, a scathing analysis of modern humanity that veers wildly between Gandhi-like sermon and Thompson-esque ranting. It's the book that kicks off the new crusades, the salvation of the word and thus the mind. It's time for America to reboot its imagination. Simply put, it's the type of book one must read to even begin to understand. Until you've been through at least one entropic collapse into word fever, I'm not sure we can even discuss the work. The phenomenon of the word fever, by the way, within the reader, I mean, and beyond any contextual meaning, is fascinating. It's funny. The rhythms that the brain will sink into while reading, even while reading sentences that don't make sense. It's almost relaxing in a way for someone who loves reading to read, but to let your brain breathe, to let the words go by, go through, without having to focus on what they mean and why. Pure language, the unified field. I'm not sure that anything I've written here is anything approaching a review or does much of anything for someone who's looking for their interest to be piqued. So I'll end by saying that having read this review is your admission into one inseparably vast reading mind. You thought you were browsing the Goodreads website, but you've ended up in the realm of Calceltalum and cannot get out. The <laughs> Cactiverse awaits you. Yield to the duo. Very so that, cool, man. I mean that that's 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 got a feel. Someone just and that's spent a, all that time. That's a reader. That. Yeah, that's a guy. He, that's you awesome. gotta let him know that you read that on a podcast. I will, and I. I and, and, would feel and, good for and him. And the too. other yeah. thing that's unique is that we're able to communicate with readers every day through Instagram and keep through doing email. it. Yeah, you know, keep is, getting back to the people. Yeah, as we, Anybody, we, we you know, I'm the guy that reaches out yeah. to people and doesn't get people yeah. looking back and to me. And that's the thing is we, we get back to everybody. Yeah. You know, we've talked Absolutely. to people all over the world that are having powerful experiences with the book. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's knowing a, that people are cool behind it is much cooler sometimes than even how much you love something sure you know what I yeah mean? of course like when you love something and then the person's a dickweed sure you know yeah. then, you like, uh, the, then you stay out of then you stay out of the god weeds. i really wanted you know, to like this guy yeah there's a couple <laughs> of those too but right. what are you gonna do no but congratulations guys that's thank gotta you. be thank, thank you yeah, yeah that's great well the book america the cult of the cactus boots a diagnostic uh jeff walton artist visuals of the book i love it i love that Bill Friedenberg, an old friend. Yeah, you two yeah. Guys you're gonna have to sign this for yeah. Ray. And yeah. I just got a message from your cousin Sean Webster, wondering how this went. Uh, so I'm excited. I, to sign. I, hello, Sean, <laughs> and uh, hello to all the people I yeah, love and care about. Yeah. You know, I've told people we're gonna talk. Yeah, and and, and and to me, you know, I I have nothing but uh, love and compassion and hope that all the people I care about uh, are doing well. And, and, you know, and including you. And, yeah, like, was... I swear to you, it means a lot to me that, uh, I, you know, I, we've connected and, and we can regroup. 
and say, look at where we're at. Yeah, <laughs> now know? we could, we could we'll have a cup of coffee. One yeah, day. yeah. <laughs> we could do this again. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, Je- like we always do, Jeff Walton, Phil Friedenberg, you guys Thank are you. now licensed to talk. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Thanks so Thank much. You.